Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Glad to be here to worship with you this morning. My name is John Davidson. I work for Chosen People Ministries, serve the Jewish people for the kingdom. You know, one of the interesting things I get to do doing Jewish missions is I get invited to churches where I get to share a message probably you heard before, but from a Jewish perspective, to shed some new light on it, I believe. You know, there's this fascinating story that I love in the Torah. And when I reference the Torah, I don't mean the Old Testament, I mean the five books of Moses. Now, the Jewish people have a different name for their whole canon, but I'm speaking of just what Moses said in the five books. In Genesis 28, we're not going to turn there, but I'm just going to use this as introduction. There's a fascinating story about Jacob. Jacob, just like his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac, was wandering through the promised land and not seeing his hope realized over years and years and years of wandering. And the hope that he was longing for was that someday the promised land will not be called the promised land anymore, but it would be called the nation. And at some point, years down the line, wandering through the land, he comes to a certain place and he has a dream. And in this dream, it's a very vivid dream and a very powerful dream up until this day. This dream that he has is that he's at a certain place. He sees a ladder extend from the earth into heaven. And the story goes, or the vision or the dream goes, that he saw angels of God ascending it and descending on it. So what is the story about? You know, I'm sure we've all read it at some point in time, but what does it really mean? Well, what I come to find out is it's really about the place that Jacob had the dream. If you look at ancient maps, and all of them are pretty much the same, the orientation is on Israel. Israel is only the size of New Jersey, but it's at the center point of the world, okay? Now, if you zoomed in on Israel and you look, you put a pin right in the middle of Israel, you get a certain city. Bethel. And this is a place that Jacob had the dream. Right at the center of the world, a ladder is connected to earth and extending to heaven. It's a powerful statement to Jacob, recognizing that this land bridge is our connection to God. Now, what does this mean for us as Christians? Of course, this happens thousands of years ago, but it still speaks to us today. Okay, John chapter 1, Jesus calls his disciples one of them being Nathaniel. Very interesting dialogue he has with Nathaniel. He sees Nathaniel coming toward him, and he says, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. That word deceit is the meaning of the name of Jacob in Hebrew. So immediately he's making a connection to Jacob. And Nathaniel says, How do you know me, Lord? And he says, before Philip called you, when I saw you under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, a Jewish person, historically, when they're praying for the Messiah, they pray under a fig tree. It's connected to the Old Testament, connected to prophecy. It's a whole message in itself. But the point is, is he was praying for the Messiah. And his prayer was answered. He saw the Lord. He saw the Messiah. And he exclaimed, truly, you are the king of Israel. Truly, you are the son of God. What's interesting is what Jesus follows up with that with. He says, you think that was powerful? Behold, the day is coming when you will see the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now to Jacob, it was about a place. But fast forward to now, 
It's about a person. Jesus is our access to heaven. Jesus is that land bridge that connects us to God. And why is that significant? Of course, sure, for salvation. Now we can have a relationship with God. Now we can be intimate with the Messiah. But what's interesting about that is that now since we have access to God, we have access to his power. We can overcome strongholds in our life. Not just before we're Christian, but as we live as Christians. Jesus overcome the grave. Amen? And because he overcome the grave, because he was raised from the dead, and because he ascended to the heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God, we have access to his power at the right hand of God. In 2005, I woke up in jail, and I was about 20 years old. I've been in and out of jail since I was 14, so for about six years, in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And every time I'd go, I would say, I swear this will be the last time I'll be here. (laughs) And for some reason, it just drew me back and drew me back. I don't know what it was. I had a problem with drugs and alcohol. I'm open about that. When I would tell people about my problem, they would say, all right, just go to rehab. They'll help you. So I checked myself into rehab five times. I would go and I would use. I would go in again and then I would use again and just back and forth, back and forth. So another guy who I'm using with, he's sitting there going, okay, I see you have a problem, John. Just switch drugs. Just try this instead and you'll do better. So I tried that and uh, did that a little bit. And uh, for some reason, a month later, I'd end up in jail again. So, uh, And somebody said, well, you know, everyone drinks alcohol. Just drink alcohol and you'll be fine. So I would drink, I'd get drunk, and then I would start using again. So over and over again, I admitted myself to hospitals. That didn't work. I went to rehabs. That didn't work. Even though I didn't willfully go to jail, it was supposed to be rehabilitating. And that didn't work either. But when I woke up in that jail cell in 2005, two men walk up to me in my jail cell and started to share about Jesus Christ. And ever since that moment, I've been changed. 16 years ago, right? Praise the Lord. 16 years ago, I tried everything in the book, everything that the world says, do this, do that, do this, do that. None of it worked. I share my testimony with you because I want to show you with clarity that the way of the world is a dead end. It's only through our access to heaven. It's only at the right hand of God that we can overcome strongholds in our life. Amen? In the letter to Colossians, Paul wants to share this with the Colossian church. He wants to say the same thing to them. The Colossian church were believers at this point, and yet they forgot that they have this continual access to God. And instead, they reverted back to their old ways. So if you'd turn with me, please, to Colossians chapter 3, we'll begin our message here. In Colossians 3, verse 1, now when you read this, and you probably read through the book of Colossians before, but as you read it this morning, I just really want you to read it as if you're hearing it for the first time, and as if Paul is reading it to you that this letter is addressed to you. Because I really think that this letter to Colossians is a message that we need to hear as Christians today. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, 
where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Messiah in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul wants the Colossian church to know, just as I think he would want us to know if he was standing here today. At some point, all of us have entered into a place of fellowship with God. Now we have this relationship. Now what? For the Colossian church, they might have been excited when they first come to know Jesus. Reading the word, spending time with fellowship with other Christians. But over time, they begin to forget that the purpose of their life, their newfound relationship with Jesus, is intimacy on a daily basis. And this is the message that Paul is trying to proclaim to them. And I believe this is a message that we all need to hear today. I've been a Christian for 16 years, and I can't tell you how many times I forgot this. You know what's fascinating about this passage? Not only its content, we'll get to that here in just a minute, but its position in the letter. Four of Paul's letters are organized in such a way that in the first half, he tells you, reminds you who you are in Messiah. In the second half, he tells you what you do in light of that truth. Okay? So in Colossians 1, he says that you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's good news. He says elsewhere that we've been reconciled to God through Jesus' death on the cross. In chapter 2, he continues and says we've been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. We've been cut off from the world. We've been separated from the world. And now we live with the Messiah. And he continues to say that we've been baptized with him. We have died to this world. So what do we do in light of that truth? Now, what's fascinating to me is if Paul would say all these wonderful things of reminder of who we are in Messiah, what would be the first thing that he would say to us in response of that truth? The first thing he would say is here in 3, verse 1. Let's read. If then you've been raised with Christ. And the point is that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, he was reminding us that we have. So we should all say with a resounding yes, we have been raised with Christ. What do we do? Seek the things that are above. You know, a professor asked me something very interesting when I was in Bible college. He asked the whole class. And he didn't want us to give an answer right away, but he wanted us to think about it for a few weeks. So we thought about it, and what he asked was, and I'm going to ask you this, I'm not going to give you two weeks to think about it, but (laughs) was, if you could boil down everything that God says in Scripture, what does he actually want from us? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What does God want from you? What's that? Put him first, okay. Other people would say love. You know what I would say in response to that? I think it'd all be boiled down into one word. Relationship. It's not we meet Christ one day and we live as if he doesn't exist. It's intimacy with him. It's a daily reprieve. We follow Christ today. We seek to know him. We seek to grow in him and live with him. It's a new life. 
when he says, seek the things that are above. In Greek, it's written in such a way when he says, seek, it's a continuous action. It's something that we continually do. It's very clear that Paul's illustrating that. It's a lifestyle. It's an intimacy. It's a relationship. And when it's talking about the things that are above, in verse 2, he reiterates that by saying, set your minds on the things that are above. I think it's specifically speaking about, if you read Colossians very carefully, from chapter 2 all the way through chapter 3 to verse 16, you'll recognize that very clearly he's speaking about the Word of God. We set our minds on God's Word. We seek to put it in our hearts. We seek to understand it. We seek to live it. Now, I don't know about you, but of course I've heard this in church. But do I actually live it? I can tell you that I cannot count how many times I forgot that. And this is why I think this message is so important today. You know, one of the things that I've noticed from speaking around the country and in other countries as well and visiting churches elsewhere is um, there's a famine of the Word of God. That's why I think this message is so important to us. Not just globally, but personally. Where is your relationship with Jesus today? Sure, you might have been a Christian for four months or four years or 40 years. The point is the same. Intimacy with Jesus Christ. In verse 1, continuing, he says, seek the things that are above. And then he qualifies it with where Christ is. Now, Jesus is the one who died on the cross and who was raised, and now we have union with him, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. You know, the Jewish way to look at this is, the way that we like to share the gospel with Jewish people, is that Jesus is the Passover lamb. Now, what's really awesome about that is it really ties in the gospel from the Old Testament perspective. Jesus, on his triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, came down riding in on a donkey. You know, it is about that riding in, but it's also about the timing of it. Because it says in the Torah that four days prior to Passover, you're supposed to select a lamb for slaughter. So everyone is looking for their lamb at that time in Jerusalem. And if he died on a Friday, which is on Passover, and you subtract four days from that, it's a previous Sunday, which is the day we celebrate Palm Sunday. Jesus came riding in on a donkey as a lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He presented himself on the exact day as that lamb selected for slaughter. He's without spot and without blemish. And that's why he conquered death and was raised three days later. Did you know that three days after Passover is another Jewish holiday called the Feast of First Fruits? Do you think it's a coincidence that Jesus happened to raise from the dead on that holiday? Well, I don't think so. I think everything is purposeful in Scripture. And this is one of those examples. If you're a farmer and you see the first fruit of your crops, it means that, behold, the harvest has come. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Jesus is the first fruits from the dead. The harvest is now here. It's not just a distant reality that we look forward to in the future. It's here now. It's available to us now. When Jesus rose from the grave and he was speaking with his disciples and he was just about to ascend into heaven, they were going to watch him ascend. He said, 
I promise you that not too long from now, I will send my spirit to you. You know, I always used to tell my friends when I was a new believer, I wish that I can walk with Jesus. I still do today. But something that really grabbed me in the Gospels was Jesus told his disciples, it's better that I go. Why? Because I will send my spirit who will be with you and who will be in you forever. He's always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Fifty days after he rose from the grave, he sent his Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Pentecost means 50. It's also a Jewish holiday, uh, Shavuot, which means basically the same thing, 50. The Jewish people celebrate on this day, or they commemorate Moses receiving the law on Mount Sinai. Well, what's the relationship between that and the coming of the Holy Spirit? We all know the story. Moses is receiving the law on the tablets, and he comes down off the mountain, and he drops the tablets because he sees a golden calf being made at the base of the mountain by the Israelites. He walks down there, and the the um, the Levites rise up, and they slay 3,000 men because of their idolatry. Now fast forward, same day but different year, Acts chapter 2, how many men were saved? 3,000. So under the law, in our old way of life, is death. Under Jesus Christ, being given the Holy Spirit to be with us and be in us forever is life. It's not just, and it reminds me too, I didn't share this in the first service, the Jewish word for life is chaim. And chaim is a very special word because it's in the dual form. It means that there's two of them. There's this life that we live now here in the flesh, and then there's a life with Jesus in heaven forever. And this is what I think relationship with Jesus is. It's not just a future reality. It's a present one. It's a relationship. And I think this is what Paul was trying to communicate. He says in verse 2, set your minds on the things that are above. And then he qualifies it with not things that are on earth. Paul's forbidding here not to seek the world the way of the world. Now, the Colossians were Christians, so they still had the temptation to pursue worldly ways. Now, when you enter into, if you have a struggle in your life, you have a choice. Do I pursue God? Do I have access to his power and seek that power to overcome that stronghold of my life? Or do I go the way of the world? You know, to be honest, thinking about it, I think the way of the world is an easy way. It's easy to go that way. That's where the stream flows. But the way that we are called to live in new life with Jesus is to swim upstream. Swim against the current. As we watch up here, you know what's the foundation of all those prophecies? Of all the stuff that's going on in the world? Wordlessness. God's word is not exalted. So wickedness increases on the earth. We have a choice. Do we follow the current towards wordlessness or do we swim upstream and pursue God in intimacy in our own personal lives? So the Colossian church, as it says in chapter 2, verse 21, it, he said, uh, it says, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all things that are perished as they are used. What their problem was, what their temptation was, was to pursue traditions, things that go beyond the scriptures. But I think fundamentally, the same issue is for us today. 
the same temptation is to go beyond the word, to seek comfort, to seek power of God outside of it. And I really think that Paul, if he was standing here today, would gently remind us that we need to come to Christ. In the simplicity of the gospel is to seek his word and to find intimacy in him here. Verse 3. I love this verse. For you have died. Just sit with that for a second. You have died. Now in Greek, it's written in such a way that to speak of permanence. For you have died once and for all with Messiah. That means we don't pick up our life, our old way of life in the world. You know, I shared my testimony with you, and I've shared it with you or here at this congregation about a year ago. But I shared it with you this morning for a specific reason. I shared it with you because even though that I've been sober for 16 years and I've tried every way the world says to try to get overcome drug addiction and alcoholism, do you think that I have not been tempted in the last 16 years to want to use and drink? I'm a Christian now, and yet I can't tell you how many times I wanted to pick up a bottle. Each one of us has a choice. When you run into a hardship in your life, where do you run? What do you do? Where do you go? There's lots of paths out there, but there's only one that works, right? Can I get an amen of that? For you have died once and for all to the way of the world. And your life, key word, life, is hidden now with Messiah in God. What he means by that is that Jesus died on the cross. He was raised on the Feast of first fruits. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the throne of God where we have access to his power. By the way, the right hand of someone in the biblical sense is a place of authority and power. We have access to him now. But he is hidden from sight. He ascended into heaven. The heavens closed. He's hidden from sight. But believe me, as I stand here today, and just as the scripture says, that he sits at the right hand of the Father. Right now, as we're sitting here this morning, Jesus is on the throne of God. There will come a time that the heavens will split open, be rolled up as a scroll, the earth will quake, the sun will darken, and the brightness of Jesus Christ will come through the clouds. Man, what a day that will be, huh? You know, I was thinking about that. It says in the scripture that every eye will see. It doesn't matter how old you are. Every eye will be there to witness Jesus' glorious appearance. Now think about it. Wherever you will be at that point, and you look to your right, and you look to your left, you'll see knees begin to bow. And you'll see tongues beginning to confess. Oh Lord, you are God. You are the Messiah. And you are the son of the most high. Man, what a day that will be. You know, it reminds me of uh, what Martin Luther said that I've heard, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, but it still sticks with me today. He was a very busy minister. He um, wrote a lot of things, preached a lot, taught a lot. And somebody asked him, you know, what's on your schedule? How do you balance all of this? And he said something very interesting. He said, I only have two days on my calendar. This day and that day. Capital D. I ask you, just as I would ask myself, what's on your calendar? 
as you sit here this morning, what's important to you? What does this mean for you? You might be thinking, well, I come to church on Sundays. Yeah, but what do you do for the rest of the week? What does your relationship with Jesus Christ look on a daily basis? Paul says if we hide ourselves in him, if we have this intimacy with Jesus Christ in the secret place, then as it says in verse 4, when Jesus, who is your life, appears, you in confidence will appear with him in glory. You know, um, I'm going to close with this. There's a, a very fascinating uh, passage in the Torah, an, another fascinating passage. And it's uh, from Exodus 17. And I really think it relates to what's going on here in Colossians 3. So at this point, the Israelites, they cross the Red Sea, and now they're in the wilderness for a few days. They're hungry, so God gave them food from heaven, called it manna. They were thirsty, so God split a rock and gave them drink. And as we know from the New Testament, both of those are in reference to the Messiah. In a like manner, us, we've crossed the Red Sea. We're now in the wilderness of life, which I believe is likened to the Israelite wandering in the wilderness. God gave us food from heaven to eat every day. God gave us a drink that when we drink from, we'll never be thirsty again. But just like in our lives, the Israelites faced a problem. The Amalekites came and attacked them. And the story goes, it's very interesting. Right when they were being attacked, Moses said, I'm going to go up on a mountain. And Aaron and Hur joined him. And they went up on the mountain. And what's interesting is every detail is significant. Okay, Moses didn't just go up by himself. He went up with Aaron and Hur. Now, Moses is, according to the Torah, is the prophet. Aaron, according to the Torah, is the priest. And her, being from the line of Judah, is the royal line of the Messiah. These are all three aspects of the Messiah. In the fullness of Messiah, Moses goes up on the mountain. And the story goes that he lifted the staff of God in the sky. And this is the same staff that Moses used to split the Red Sea. And in Judaism, this staff represents the power of God. And the story goes that as he held his arms in the sky and the staff of God was elevated, that the Israelites prevailed in battle. But as his arms grew weary and it began to sink, the Amalekites prevailed in battle. So Aaron on one side held up one arm and her on the other side held up the other arm and kept his arms steady in the air. And the Israelites had victory over the battle. Now, here's something really interesting. If you read that passage in Hebrew, a very important word shows up there. The word is amunah, which is the word we get amen from, which means faith in Hebrew. It was the faith of holding up the power of God that they had victory over the struggle that they had in their life. The same is for us today. Jesus ascended into heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father, a place of authority and power, and we have access to him now. Not just in the future, but today. Jesus says you will have tribulation in this life, so accept that. But I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. 
Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.